Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as usual, Paul Guglieri. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, a few housekeeping bits off the top here. Um, please do subscribe to the show uh, wherever you listen to it. iTunes, I guess they call it Apple Podcasts now. Spotify. Is it on SoundCloud? I don't even know. Wherever you get it, subscribe. Hey, unsubscribe and then resubscribe because apparently that works. Um, also leave a, leave a comment, leave a review. That'd be great. Five stars would be super. And, you know, follow the socials, all that business, uh, state of love and trust underscore pod on Instagram. So today's show, what we're going to do as I watch Paul drink his lovely scotch, uh, I'm a little jealous cause I don't have any on me right now, but what we're going to do today is we're going to react to Pearl Jam, uh, benefiting from the cares loan act because that is a bit of topical news we should cover. We are going to talk about uh, what we think are our five favorite Jeff written songs, and I'll explain that in a minute. Then we will do over under on Vitalogy, so pick an overrated song and underrated song on the album, and then our usual bits are live cut and lyrics of the week. So first things first, Paul, hello, how are you? I am I'm doing well, Jason. It's been quite a pickle of a day which uh, you and I, we're actually recording this podcast, for those who don't know, a couple hours later than we originally planned. And uh, life that's happens, my fault. Paul. That's my fault. Yeah, I know. It, it does happen. It's not your fault. It's, it's life. Life gets in the way sometimes and you have to You just have your... to say, hey, Foxy Mop Handle Mama, <laughs> I am ready to take it as it comes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. All right. So Pearl Jam. The CARES Act, what the hell is this all about? Well, let me set it up. If you don't know, there was a Rolling Stones article that came out on last Tuesday, July 7th. Or I guess it'd be two Tuesdays ago as we're recording this. So you, yeah, cat's out of the bag. We recorded a little early. So what happened was, um, you know, the COVID-19 thing is happening and a lot of small businesses have applied for um, loans to help them and a lot of touring acts have received federal funding to support their crews for any current and future postponed tours. And this is according to data released by the Small Business Administration and Treasury Department. Now, this is all part of the CARES Act. It's a $2 trillion thing. And the Eagles, Pearl Jam, Disturbed, all got loans here, anywhere between $350,000 to a $1 million USD. Now, what would be your initial reaction here, Paul, to hearing this news? Well, I think context needs to be taken heavily into consideration here, Jason. Uh, n- number one, these loans were not granted to the artists themselves. So it's not like Pearl Jam gets a check for $750,000 or a million dollars. The money was granted to the touring companies. So, you know, that money is designated to help the the roadies, the the crew, essentially that have been forced off of the road, that have lost their ability to earn income. 
So either the band has to foot that cost and say, hey, you guys were go- you, you were slated to make, to make X amount of money and revenue coming in from the shows was supposed to support that. Uh, but now that we're not going on the shows, you guys are kind of left twisting in the wind here. And so the band re- receives these, these grants essentially, but the grants, as I mentioned, they go to the touring companies themselves. So I think that there's this misconception that the band is getting the money and that, you know, people are thinking, well, hey, you know, these rich rock stars are getting money from the government. This is, this is ridiculous, you know. That I was, thought their, their political affiliations are, are, are being compromised here. That's not the case. <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of exactly what, what I was thinking is, you know, the immediate reaction is to say, well, what the hell? Pearl Jam's rich. They don't need this money. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not going to them, as you just said. You know, that this isn't, you know, when you think about like the, this, this, the families who need the checks to come in to, to make the pay the bills. You think about the guy who owns the little taco stand down the street, or the guy who owns the dry cleaners, and they need. The, they're get, okay. In theory, they are getting checks to. Well, they've got an ad check to help them along the way. That's an entirely different discussion. But as far as what this means to the band, it means more to the crew supporting them, and so mm-hmm. they are. They are contractors, and you know these loans are often heavily weighted to pay for crew and personnel and that are going to be working on the tour. And these people have to pay bills too. So it's easy to think that, Hey, this is going to be, you know, going into the Pearl Jam coffers, but that's, or the Eagles coffers as it will, but it, it's nothing like that. It's, it's right. actually helping people who are just displaced from working on the tour that we wish we were attending right now. Yes, indeed. So no umbrage taken. On my account. Me either. Me either. Okay. Moving on. Main topic. This week, we are talking songwriters, and we've chosen Jeff Ement to start this little mini-series. It's a five-part series, and that's all it can be, right? Yeah. Incorrect. It could include Dave Aprizisi, and it could include Dave Krusen, but I think we'd probably end up like one song. Anyways, Right? Well, Dave was on a couple songs. Yeah. I mean, don't give me a headache this early, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing a wrench all right into the plans. All right. So, Jeff, I meant now the stipulation here on, on this little series that we're going to do is obviously they gotta, have to be a, a credited songwriter, and you are supremely weighted if you are either the sole songwriter or if you have one other person helping you. And obviously, bonus points if you contributed lyrics and you are not named Eddie Vedder. So, with those stipulations in place, I'm going to start with you, Paul. What is your fifth favorite Jeff written song? Oh, what a pickle. Um, you know, I was, I was going through the catalog of songs that are mostly attributed to, to, to Jeff, pardon me. And I am very impressed with, with right? uh, his resume. It, yeah, even, you know, I didn't I, even realize at the time. I know, man. It's it's quite the uh, quite the list. So, coming in at number five here, it was it was hard because I had a couple of bonuses here. But me too. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> it was it was a toss up here. Uh, I'm gonna say why go. Oh man, it's That's a straightforward, okay. just pounding grunge rocker. But you know, the the, the lyrical. Com- Component to the song features these this social commentary undertones that really tackle mental illness, familial neglect, a lot of the themes that permeated Ten as an album, and so uh, 
it's to me it's a very uh, I, I don't want to say it's, it's an underrated song on 10 but I guess I might have given that away if, if 10 go. was the album we were doing uh, that would be a worthy candidate for that I will say though that the song that I'm just going to piggyback off that because the song to me that I struggled the most with this will be my little bonus song right I'm grant you a bonus as well so <laughs> the song for me that I toggled back and forth with was God's Dice Ooh. and uh, it, it was tricky I have to say it was not easy again kind of a full throttle rocker also from Jeff and you know you had you had Why Go which was a similar song on that regard from their debut album in the early 90s and then you had God's Dice, which was a similar style, style, pardon me, just throttling rocker from their first album of the of the 2000s. And, you know, just in, in researching this song, God's Dice, it was very metaphysical in terms of its presentation and its lyrical content. And I thought that that was also beautifully aligned with the thematic content of, of Binaural as an album. So you kind of had these, these elements of destiny and luck and human will from what I've read in terms of commentary on the song and, and all that comes out. But I guess there's this Albert Einstein quote that says, God does not play dice with the universe. And apparently Jeff hmm. tweaked that. But if you look at the packaging on the album for the song, uh, God's dice, the apostrophe goes after the S suggesting it's plural, right? Multiple right. gods, yeah. the dice of many gods. And so is that, you know, monotheistic? Like, what, what, like is that, is that a commentary on that? I think it more than anything, it's just acknowledging the fact that there there are many gods that people believe in and have believed in throughout time. And if you look at a song like Why Go and that the feeling of alienation, there's a metaphysical quality to that too. And so these two songs to me, I think are, are linked on a thematic level in a lot of ways. And so they're interchangeable for me in that number five slot. So I'm going to say why go with God's okay, dice. I was going to put you on the spot and say you got to pick one, but I do. And so okay. I'm going with why go mostly because I think it's a better song. You know, if I, if I had to listen to one song 10 times in a row, it'd be why go 10 times out of 10. So going to go with that one. So you kind of, that's a great segue for my fifth pick. And I'm going to say that I was kind of struggling between my, my sixth or bonus song and my number five. Um, and not because for different reasons basically because one song had a co-writer but I thought that his contribution to the co-written song was greater and that the overall song was better and so I kind of skipped it ahead so Why Go is my bonus song oh. the number five song for me is Garden now okay. Garden I chose for, for a number of reasons, and I, I think that one thing that I noticed that I hadn't noticed for a long time was this is fretless bass heaven, okay? <laughs> Harmonic slides, I mean, I had never heard of those before, and you almost don't even realize that what they are, but when you pay attention, it's all you can hear. It's all I can hear, especially in the opening portion of the song, so... I hear it past that and I hear it past the guitars now. It's it's weird. It's, it's almost the lead thing when I re-listen to the song, yeah. trying to focus on Jeff. His bass lines change the tonal nature of Stone's chords too. So if Stone's playing like this A chord, he throws he slides up to like a B and it, it makes this completely different um, dissonant sounding thing. It, it totally changes the vibe of the song. It's very uneasy. So he, even though he does share credit with Stone, 
I find that his lines are more unique to the vibe of the song than the guitars are, as great as they are. And so for that and the overall structure of this song, how powerful it is, I had to sneak it up ahead of, of Wago, even though I love that bass line of Wago. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll get no no argument from me on that one. I will say about Garden that I do think the original mastering of it with the reverb is mm-hmm. stronger than the, the Brendan Ooh. O'Brien remix. I, we, the, the the reverb for me is a defining quality of that album. It's like it's how I experienced it for the first time. Right. But even if you take that away, of all the tracks on that album, that is the one that loses its atmosphere. When you take the, especially in the intro, like that whole beginning sequence, well, you take that away, and I, the whole song to me is, is different now. I think we've just stumbled upon a new episode later on, and that'll be ah. the Redux versus the original ten. Oh, yeah. and now I'm very excited about that, but. <laughs> for this particular song, I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I think Eddie's intro vocals get lost in the original production. Now, maybe you like that. Maybe you like how it's more subdued and under the yeah. water. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves, gang. We and are, we I'm are. very excited about that potential episode down the road. But there you go. I've got Garden at five. You're up to Sir at number four. All right. So for me here, clocking in at number four is Quick Escape. Ooh. I know, I know. It's uh, Look, we had our, our conversation about this album, and I rated this as one of the better Pearl Jam songs, period. In the you gave catalog. it a five. I did. I gave mm-hmm. it a five out of five. So for, for me to not put this in a top five Makes sense. list, it, it just, it, yeah, it's, it's almost predictable. But this song to me, just it just crushes. You know what I mean? I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic homage to just the classic rock roots of the band. You just hear so many of the that that 70s rock tonality coming out in the track um i think that in time it's going to be regarded as arguably the the best song on the album um i know right now there's a lot of divide it's very over your over your leader in the clubhouse of retrograde yeah, that's my favorite song on the album but i i for some reason i just feel like this is the, the type of song that you're going to hear played at uh you know in a set more often you know what i mean it has a certain epic quality that kind of matches some of the vibes of retrograde has that yellow moon feel to me where it's going to work its way into certain sets at certain times whereas i feel that with with the song like quick escape it just seems to kind of it brings in that kind of hard charging Pearl Jam that we had come to know that that in in some ways had gotten lost in, in that that you know punk dad rock vibe that we've been getting out of them, which I feel like they finally mastered with a song like Super Blood Wolfman. But Quick Escape for me is, is definitely a winner at four. Well, guess what? I also chose Quick Escape as number four. You? How about that? You? you tart. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, Jeff's bass line bounces along perfectly around Matt's beat. This song is all rhythm section, and I love the bluesy chord progression right up my alley. And then it's, it says something that Jeff's, the soul writer for probably, as you said, is probably the best song on the album. I mean, that's that's pretty wild and then there's essentially a bass solo under mike's outro solo and i have never heard that it's like from a the jackhammer man that, it <laughs> is and it totally friggin works and so, it works lyrically too when you look the just i mean look regardless of where your political you know affiliations how they're aligned however you want to look at it i mean it is a very charged song lyrically and and to have music that actually aligns with that and runs congruent to that 
is, is not an easy thing to do. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. So uh, you're number three. Number three for me would be Jeremy. It, uh, I know it's, it, it's arguably the most iconic song featuring Jeff. I think you, you could argue it's not my number one, but it's, it's, I would never argue with somebody that said that that's my favorite song that features him. It's, uh, it's an iconic Pearl Jam track. It defined, I think, uh, 10 in so many, it all, you, you could say that, okay. So the video for this song, I think traumatized the band and, to, to the point where, where, where Jeff is on record as saying we didn't want people to remember our songs as videos. You know, yeah, we yeah. didn't want people to look back at our, our music and just see videos. And so they were really kind of uh, put off by that whole vibe. And then we saw less and less videos of any kind up until Yield, I think, with, with Do the Evolution. And so you, you look at a song like this. And you and I have had this conversation about how it's it's sad and frightening how relevant that song remains today. So I think when when you look at the song, it, it, the, the the intro alone is unmistakable. I mean, uh, it, you talk about great intros to music, you know, Bonham's drum intro to when Levy breaks on Led Zeppelin oh. Four, uh, you know, that that the, the guitar riff at the beginning of. of, of Cream and Eric Clapton's Layla. I mean, you, you just think about these iconic openings. And, and for me, our generation, the opening to Jeremy is unmistakable. And so it's it's hard to not have that in a top five. And, and I, I would not be, I would be remiss if, if folks listening to this, if people don't come at me and say, how is that not number one? <laughs> and I, I could, it'd be hard to argue against it. It will be hard to argue against Put it. Put down the pitchforks, people. Mm. I mean, I told you uh, in episode one that the reason why I got into the band was when I heard this song on the radio for the first time. And it's just that, that, that bass line at the opening, I'm like, holy yeah. mother. Well, my number three is actually something a little bit quieter. It's Nothing Man. Another fretless bass song, which is just super, super cool. He uses a number of songs, but I didn't even realize how many songs he used it on until you go see him live and you go, oh, that's that's unfretless too? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the lyrics really make this song, but they're at the mercy of Jeff's bass. And the entire vibe of the song, the way you feel ascends and descends with Jeff's playing. It's very lyrical in its movement. So, you know, while... I don't believe this is a Jeff lyric song, is it? No, it is not. Um, it, so it's Ed's lyrics, but I feel like they play to Jeff. Jeff absolutely makes this song. And the, the guitars in there are just to fill in the atmosphere and let Jeff lead the way to the next measure. So it's like, it's this really pretty, beautiful song. And without him kind of you know, leading the rest of the band, I think the song is completely different. So for me, Nothing Man, number three, very important song for them. Great track. Number two, go ahead, number two. Number two, Low Light. Uh, When I first heard Yield, it was my favorite song on the album. Which, which is really? surprising to a lot of people. Because, wow, I'm surprised right now. I mean, it, I just think that's it's beautiful. It really is a, a beautiful song. Um, it kind of has this this car crash feel to it, you know. And but there's there's a, a poetry and a beauty to it. And if you listen to this to this song with Last Kiss back back to back, it, hmm. it, it tells a, a very very fascinating narrative. Um, but have they ever played that back to back? I do not. We know, need to find that actually. out. I bet our friends at Live on. 
four legs or Pearl Jam of the Day could probably figure that out for us. Somebody, I have no doubt, could. But uh, I don't know the answer to that. I would love to get an answer to that, actually. But uh, I'm going to search my entire that. catalog now and just do find and replace and just see if that case follows it. <laughs> so, you know, th- this, this particular song, it happens, you know, it, it, it comes in rather late in the album. I mean, I think it's track number 10. It's track number 10. And uh, it's, Jeff wrote the lyrics. He wrote the music. Bonus. Um, yeah. De- definitely a bonus there and uh, I don't know for, for me it just has always been a, a highlight of the band's album and uh, there there's not much fanfare for it but I do know that whenever they play it it gets a nice healthy reaction from the crowd um, it's just a, a beautiful chord progression and there's a, a distinctive style to the strumming and the progression of of a Jeff Ament song and I think this song captures it beautifully. Uh, there's only one song that I think does an even better job of this and, and captures it even more beautifully, which I'll get to at my number one. But this one definitely is a standout track for me. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, it goes from a, from a 5-4 time signature to a 4-4 back to a 5-4. And it's like it's kind of all over the place. And so it does have that weird tension, even though it's a, it's a quieter, softer song. But you're right about the about the crowd reaction. I think the last show I saw was a couple of years ago, and they played it kind of early in the set, and the crowd, lo- you know, was up for it. They were they were totally stoked to hear it. And it's like, okay, how often do you really hear a crowd getting amped up for a softer song? It's because it's a quality song. Yeah, it's uh, it, it lyrically it's beautiful too. It's a haunting song. Um, so it's uh, just just reviewing and looking at the lyrics right now. I mean, it's a. Uh, Car crash, low light, can't wear my mask, your first, my last. I mean, there, there's some really, really beautiful lines in yeah. there. So. Well, my number two is going to be Nothing As It Seems. Great track. Yes. Um, Jeff's droning bass is such a mood. Kids always say, what a mood, right? Are they saying like, like things are moods now, mm-hmm. right? Moods and vibes. So that's me being being uh, Liddy. Is that another term people use now? Liddy? Uh, man, I'm really know. dating myself right now, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> it's great. I'm just going to say it with great or choice. Anyway, Jeff's droning bass is a mood. And the volume swell, like notes on his fretless, again, fretless bass, it's so simple and so little change, but it's the whole mood of the song. It's probably my favorite lyrics by Jeff, which is why it's so high up in the table here. You really feel what he's trying to get across, this idea that he enjoys his solidarity, his simple, quiet life, and people won't understand why he loves this life. And the only reason why this song isn't any higher than two for me is because Mike's leads are as integral to this song's success as the rest of the vibe Jeff has created for us. Mm -hmm. We can hear Mike wail at any moment, but over this soundscape, it's something else. So... While the song that Jeff has created is so strong, and I love it, I love how Ed sings over it, and that that last post-chorus with the whisper through a megaphone, he always kind of cups his hands like this. Right. I love that. But because Mike's solos are so integral to that song being so kick-ass, I couldn't quite get it to number one. 
I hear you. I mean, that song you could argue is the defining track off Binaural. Uh, it might be my favorite, actually. Yeah. It, it is really good. Uh, and looking back now, I mean, I, I'm surprised it didn't crack my top five here. I, I could easily slide that one in. Wow. All, almost. It, it is. Look, I when I when first I heard it, it, yeah. it didn't speak to me as much. It had kind of a Pink Floyd vibe to it. And I'm not a big Pink Floyd guy. But in 2000, Jeff actually explained in an interview with MTV, he said, I'm quoting him here. He said, I grew up in really rural area in northern Montana. And this song, looking back, I look back at my childhood as being a fairly utopian situation where I had the freedom to ride my bike around town when I was five years old. My parents didn't have to worry about anybody taking me and killing me or whatever. In the last couple of years, there have been some things that have kind of allowed some darker things to come to the surface of my childhood, seeing things that I had kind of selectively forgotten for my own mental health or whatever, hence the title, Nothing As It Seems. And so there is a darkness to this song. But again, it ties in with that whole like mental health aspect of the things that we suppress, which are our uh, themes that we see in songs like God's Dice and in Why Go. And so that it's starting to become a fascinating kind of expose into Jeff's psyche when you start looking at For his sure. songwriting, you know what I mean? And you, you, you begin to see that a lot of this, I think, is a coping mechanism. And it's a way that he kind of channels and, and he, he, he finds therapy, I think, through his music. Uh, there are times where Jeff has been frustrated during the creative process. And I've read interviews where people have said, or he has said, you know, he just went outside and just started dunking for an hour or, you know, <laughs> shooting threes or whatever. It's just, yeah. he has his way of dealing with stress and frustration. And I think music for him is very therapeutic and, and you can really see that come out in a lot of these tracks. Well, and you see him, you know, in between Pearl Jam albums, he's always recording something. He just had an EP come out. Yeah. He, he, he can't sit still musically, you know? And so the number of projects that he's had outside of Pearl Jam kind of prove that it's, but good. I'm glad that he needs that because it only helps Pearl Jam. Indeed. All right. So number one, what do you have? It's nothing, man. Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's, yes. I think that is one of the best songs the band has ever written. Um, it, it's my favorite track off Vitology. It's one of my, my favorite tracks, period, by the band. I think it's an impeccable, perfect ballad. Um, if, if my notes are, are, in, are, are, are correct, they wrote this song in about an hour, a day apart from Tremor Christ. Right. And it has some of the best chord changes in the entire catalog. And Stone attributes those changes to Jeff. And I think, like I said, you kind of see some, some, uh, some parallels with the song like Low Light. But the changes, the style, the approach to strumming, all that is signature. Jeff and much like low light and some of these other tracks there's a haunting quality to it about just just being left with nothing and lyrically um, it, it's it's one of the best songs I think in the catalog as well and I know that that I don't think Jeff wrote the lyrics to this one no Eddie did Eddie did yeah so you know sometimes <clears throat> you bring music to the table that's so beautiful that it can stand on its own and it, it is one of those tracks where if this was just like, like a musical interlude it, it would stand, you know what I mean? It's that beautiful to me, the the chord progressions. It doesn't need lyrics, but you add the lyrics onto it and it just rises to a whole new level. Well, I mean, I think between what you said at one and what I said at three, we've we, we've proven that Nothing Man is an incredible song. I'm actually looking forward to the day we do that as our Lyric of the Week and Live Cut of the Week. I wish they played it more often live. Yeah, you're right. And I you've talked about wanting a really proper 
album specific version or album um, correct version of it live because we talked about the evolution of that song a little bit yeah and, and play it clean you know what I mean like plug in but play it clean the way it sounds on the album as opposed to picking up an acoustic guitar there's there's a certain quality to that song especially that opening it has that weird like kind of like vinyl tap in and uh, yeah. I, I don't know I just it, there, there's a warmth to it you know like almost an analog feel a warmth to it that I believe they could replicate some of that live and, and I hope one day we get some of that well when we get stone on the show we'll ask him about that or like, some strings man like put that <laughs> well we talked about black and having an orchestra uh, a la yeah. Metallica s and so we maybe, need that show you know what's gonna happen they're gonna be like 68 years old and be like alright we gotta put all the stops here and for making some money yeah hey, let's, <laughs> uh, let's get an orchestra behind us finally you know <laughs> alright my number one the masses are going to love it. It's Jeremy. It has to be for me. Um, I mean, like I said it before, the bass is uh, 12-string bass, first of all. I don't think epic. I've ever even heard of that outside of Jeff Ament. So after I learned that that was a thing, I mean, it's one of the most iconic riffs in rock history, and it's a bass riff. Uh, the guitars, while so important in this song, they feel like they're playing second fiddle to the bass, and usually that's the opposite in rock music. As I mentioned before, bass harmonics haven't been this prevalent in a song since um, Jaco Pistorius. You know, that, that, that guy created bass harmonics, and J- Jeremy and Garden are Jeff's beautiful versions of that. So this is another Ed vehicle because the story and the lyrics are so memorable and iconic, but I don't know that the song would be as legendary as it is without the music and more specifically, the core changes brought on by Jeff's bass lines. So this is the song that put them over the top, in my opinion. You know, they were touring forever under Alive and promoting Even Flow out there. Right. But not until the summer of 92, when this hit the airwaves, did they become absolute monsters. Yep. There's a reason, uh, and Jeff's creation is it. And this is why it's number one in Beats Out, Nothing As It Seems, and Nothing Man, and Quick Escape. And why go and garden indifference didn't even mention that that was like number seven for that's me that's another beautiful track yeah <clears throat> um because it's importance to the band's history cannot be matched by any other just song in my opinion so oh. jeremy number one you know at me guys at me you know what jason i gotta be honest with you what what this whole whole uh investigation has taught me is not that i didn't know this before but it just totally underscores this idea of how indispensable Jeff is to this band. Absolutely. And I'm not just talking about the chemistry and his ability to hold them together and, and all that jazz. I'm saying musically, you know, if you take Jeff out of the band and replace him with somebody else over the last 10, 15, 20 years, they're not the same band. There are so many songs that are that suffer that or maybe don't exist. It's unbelievable how integral and vital of a member he is. Bassists don't get enough love, and this they guy right here is Hall of Fame worthy. I listed basically every single song that he was credited on just to kind of get my bearings right, and there's so many songs we haven't even touched on that are tremendous. I mean, Pendulum, okay? Yeah, that's one, I think, I think that's my Army favorite Reserve, track off that album. Yeah, Army, Army Reserve, Reserve is a very underrated track. song. Um, Save You, Help, Help, Half Full, Other Side, Sweet Lou, Big Wave. I mean, we could go on. There's so many. Smile. Hail, hail, yeah. red mosquito, all night. I mean, there are so many alone. How many? Wash. This guy is a songs, stud. <laughs> how many songs has he co-written or written by himself? Smile, by the way, is completely Jeff. 
Um, it just it's we owe. Thank you, Jeff. Thank yes. you. I think it's what we're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our over under segment. All right, over under this time around, we're gonna go Vitalogy. We've done Riot Act before. We're gonna do Vitalogy today. I'll start this one off, and I'm gonna go for overrated. And by the way, we should mention and reiterate and repeat that none of these songs, when we say overrated, means they suck. We just compare them to the high bar set by the album. So, yeah, for me, overrated, not for you. And I say mm. that because. It's one of the least musically interesting on the album. It's only a couple of chords. Again, not to say it's a bad song. It's just there's a high bar. The lyrics haven't aged well for me as other songs. They seem really tied to the time period that they were living in. Since we know that the story behind the song is it's hard to not think of the battle with the media and fame at large that they were having. So it just seems like that ages ago this song was relevant and now it doesn't seem to hit like 95. What do you think? I don't think it's overrated. Um, I, I I agree with you that it captured a moment in time where the band was basically saying to the record industry, you know, what we do, all of it, this is not for you, you know? And I think that he, you know, the band had to clarify that with the fan base and right. say, look, we're not saying this is not for you guys. You know, we're saying it for, for the people that, that are packaging the album that you guys are buying out at the, uh, at the, at the, at the, uh, the media table outside. You know what I mean? Uh, was that around back? No, I don't even know. But, merch uh, tables, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if they were merch tables back then. Little tents. I don't know. But uh, point is, is that to me, I think that song is is it's it's less relevant today because with Pro Tools and the advance of technology, bands have never had an easier time getting their music to the people. Uh, that's not to suggest that labels and A and R and all that stuff don't matter anymore, but they're far less as vital, I think in order for an artist to reach an audience as they were in, in the early 90s and mid 90s. So I see your point in that respect. All right. What do you say for overrated? Uh, overrated. You know, for me, it's just there's only one song, Spin the Black Circle. Oh, wow. Wins yeah. a Grammy and Paul hates it. Uh, exactly. It's, <laughs> you heard uh, it here first, guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what? It's the first single from the album. Okay. And Ed wrote the lyrics. I, I don't. I, first of all, there was this bizarre controversy about uh, it being a song about heroin, which was just a crock. What? You no. know, yeah. It who could who, be who, who was the MTV uh, news guy? Was it Kurt Loder? Was it with, uh, Kurt Loder was the guy, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll never forget hanging out and I'm watching MTV and I'm just like waiting for cool videos to come on. And then this whole segment comes on where, where Kurt is talking about controversy with this Pearl Jam song and how certain you know Christian activist groups and all this stuff are criticizing and, and, and saying that the song should be banned from airways because it's about drug use and it's promoting uh, you know heroin and that kind of stuff and and Eddie's basically saying you know that they, they I, I want to say they found a clip of Eddie responding to it or it was a, a statement released by the band where basically that the band just completely disregarded that critique and said, that's not what the song is about at all. <laughs> it's, and when you, it's clearly about dropping a needle on some vinyl and enjoying some, some great music, you know what I mean? And it, but you could see how people who just hear a line there, you know, like uh, yeah. Karen, 
who's hanging out in her living room <laughs> and hears her, her 16-year-old son blasting some Pearl Jam back in the mid-90s, just hears, spin, spin, spin the black sir. And she's thinking, oh, he's listening to that devil music. He's going to go get hooked on heroin. <laughs> it's- A, devil's music is great. But two, <laughs> should have been like, mom, if you really want a heroin song, how about the song Blood? Yeah, right. I mean, there, there you go. <laughs> well, here Wrong here. album, Karen. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's just a song. Yes, it, it it peaked at number 11 on Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks chart, right? Uh, it wins a Grammy. And to me, it was like, it ends up on uh, the 2004 Greatest Hits album. I just don't think it's it's that That's great fair. a song. That's I fair. Mean, it, it feels like a B-side to me. I mean, it's, it's a cool, you know, rocker. But I mean, I don't think there's anything exceptional with it. To say it's a Grammy greatest hits song, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I think it's more about the Grammys than anything else. It is, maybe. I don't know, man. It's just, it's overrated. All right. Fair play, fair play. <laughs> All right, my underrated. I'm going with whipping. Hey, that's a good call. For me, the chord changes they don't on the surface they don't seem like anything special, but they are the perfect vehicle to keep this song moving at the same nearly going to go off the rails pace. The entire three minutes or two and a half minutes, I should say. And I would ask you this question: Have you ever really listened to Jeff's bass lines? Like, really listen to Jeff? They are yeah, fucking just throw wild. Throw some headphones on and just, dude. I guess I have to now, Jason. When I was going through this album, I was like, "What?" I don't think I've ever really paid attention to what Jeff is doing in the background. I know this is a Jeff episode, basically, but like, holy hell, it is so damn cool. And the lyrics, I love the lyrics. And they are, to me, always relevant. You can apply the feeling to something trying to control you to pretty much anything. You can apply it to, you know, your parents or media or politicians <laughs> or your teacher or whatever. And pff, it, it fits and it's two and a half minutes of fucking fun. Pardon my French. <laughs> I love it. You are a big fan of that song. I've actually heard you pick the axe up before and just start rocking that. I love that song, man. You are a, you are a fan. What do you say? It's nothing, man. For me, is the most underrated song. Really? On this album. Uh, to me, it's 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 the best song on the album. Yeah, but underrated. And, well, I say underrated because you say Vitology and the the, sta- the the tracks that people will most often quote. They'll say Better Man, Corduroy. Uh, you know, you'll hear a lot of folks throw out Immortality. All amazing songs. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, Nothing Man is, I think, an acquired taste for some people. You know, it's very, it's the slowest song on the album. And I think that a lot of people, I don't think anybody hates that song. I say it's underrated because to me, it's the best song on the album. It's better than Immortality. It's better than Better Man. It's better than Corduroy, who a lot of people oh, think hey is now. the same. Yeah, I said it. I said it. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this idea that, you know, and Eddie said this, you know, this idea is about if you love someone and they love you, don't fuck up because <laughs> you're left with less than nothing. And, and it just sums up so much about everything, your relationship with your parents, with your spouse, with your children, with your country, with your uh child's teacher, <laughs> with your dog, whatever it is, if you love someone and that person or that thing or whatever it loves you, don't fuck it up, man. Because if, if so, you're left with, and this is what I, you're left with less than nothing. And to me, there's a profound statement embedded in that. Because 
less than nothing is frightening. I mean, that is it's that's a frightening tr- concept. It's devastating. Yeah. It's a devastating concept, and I yeah. think that it, that right. You know, they say that um, silence is the absence of sound. Well, what is the absence of love? It's not nothing. Right? It's not. It's not hate because hate is le- no. Because hate, hate is 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 the is the opposite, right? But the absence of love would be less than nothing, and there's a deep void that is incapable of being filled when you think of being in that situation. And so the the profound nature of this song to me, it just soars. Um, it does what retrograde. It does lyrically. In a very and musically, in a subdued way, in a subtle way, what retrograde does musically, on a very kind of epic, you know, over the top way, and so I just think that you 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 think about what you are if you don't have love, and uh, more than ever, especially today, I think that's what we need more of. You're doing a hell of a sales job this episode, my friend. Mm. <laughs> You don't convert me necessarily, but you're doing a great job. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to interest you in a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. I'm fine. All right. We've got um, a lot, a lot of good fodder for the internet to uh, chime in about. I'm excited yeah. to see what people, what people say. All right. Moving on to our lyric of the week. All right. This week's lyric of the week comes from Vitalogy, and it comes from a song called Tremor Christ. What are your thoughts on a lyric of the week? Uh, this could have very easily been the most underrated song on, uh, Good on point. this album. It, it, it's a truly exceptional, exceptional track. Uh, I, I want to say that we had somebody on on Instagram actually mention that this song tr- like really grew on uh, on him or her. But um, I think that the song comes in; it just rips in very repetitively. Mm-hmm. And it's lyrically where the song suddenly gets elevated. And this idea that, you know, you have a subject in the song and you make decisions. And again, it's, it's, I, I know that Jeff, he didn't write this entire song, but he, he was attributed as a co-writer to the song. And you, again, there's this haunting element, something that's coming back to, to haunt you. But that lyric right there is one of, I think the best in the catalog as well, you know, it's hard to kind of quantify the effect that secrets have. You know, we talk about how we, we keep things from each other and those things become much bigger concerns down the road and they become big waves essentially. Mm-hmm. And those waves essentially, we, we, we get caught in the undertow of those things to the point where we drown underneath them. And I think the song is really essentially trying to explain what happens when you don't face consequences and take accountability for choices. You know, um, it's hard to kind of go back and, and, and take accountability and, and people don't like doing that. 
Uh, you and I spoke a lot about that in, in one of our last episodes, actually, I think, uh, talked about uh, we've grown as people and right yeah. you know there's an ugliness to to us as we grow older that we have to fa- we have to become aware of and face before it affects relationships and what have you and so there's there's really a gauntlet being thrown down and uh, that lyric really kind of seems to highlight that for me yeah I, I, for me it's like you know if you think a tiny detail won't mean much then you can be very sorely disappointed and and proven wrong and, you know, this whole idea of waves, you know, Eddie loves writing lyrics about the ocean and waves. Right. And waves have this capacity to start as almost nothing and then build to something much bigger before they break. And in the context, in this context, it's something really bad. And, you know, even a small lie can lead to a massive disaster. And in this case, it feels like some, you know, a relationship of sorts. And we can go through life, you know, trying to be honest, at least those who are trying to do the right thing by their fellow man, woman. But sometimes we think a small lie will be okay. You know, um, we can get out of a jam. It'll be easier that way, easier than taking the harder approach of being honest, but it can blow up later. So no matter how trivial the situation it pays to be honest, it pays to be sincere is kind of how I found this chunk out of the greater story being told in the song. And it's, it's, as you said, it's, we need to, be more like that and be re- and be cognizant of these little lies that we tell in, in how we approach our relationships with people. And I will say too, just to piggyback off of that, if you think about the irony in the line, the smallest oceans still get great big waves. What ocean is small? You know what I'm saying? Mm, <laughs> and mm. so this idea, I think sometimes we come the into Arctic. a situation. Well, but even that, I mean, we come I into know, a <laughs> situation where it, to us, we like to minimize something, not acknowledging right. the depth and breadth that really lies within Way that. too often. I mean, there are so many oceans that we carry and, and, and that we, we must swim in, you know, that we must try not to drown within. And it, too often we, we minimize those things and we pretend that they're just little rain puddles or just little ponds. And when in fact they are great big oceans and this song is basically pointing out that, Hey, it's not a rain puddle and it has waves and they're big and you need to start, (laughs) you need to start facing that and being ready to, 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 uh, to, I don't not surmount, but you need to be ready to overcome that. You need to be ready to survive that. Uh, you know, just as an aside, I have a friend of mine who you, you mentioned lies. He was experiencing some marital strife and uh, he has these kids and he would take them to school. And his wife at the time was saying, I, I, I need you to stay. I want you to make sure that the kids get into the classroom. And so he would get there, but he had a massive commute to work. And so he would get there and the kids would go out and they'd be waiting in line with like I don't know, 75 other kids all in the playground and, and the aides are there and the teacher would come out and then suddenly they get ushered into the classroom. Well, he would not wait until the kids go into the classroom. He would just go to work because he, he had so many, uh, he only had so many minutes to get there and he didn't want to deal with the commute and be late. So he would lie. He would tell his wife, yeah, yeah I, I saw him go in. Well, one day she calls and asks the teacher, you know, does he stay until the kids are ushered into the classroom? And she, she said, no. And it caused a massive shitstorm, and it just, ultimately it was a, a straw that broke the camel's back. You know, there was a lot mm-hmm. of other things going on, sure. but it just goes to show you that you know th- there's an ocean here. You know what I mean? And here was this big, big wave that he he was either not looking at 
or that she was not looking at. And before you know it, like it just kind of overtook both of them. And so it just goes to show you that you really have to be far more willing to get up on the board and be ready for those things. Because like you said, they sneak up on you. Absolutely. All right. Live card of the week. Ready to stand up. This week's live card of the week. Where are we going? We're going to Washington in 1995. Uh, There are a few reasons, Jason, why I think this is the best cut of the song. Number one, it comes from the Voters for Choice benefit in 1995, which uh, the band was invited to play with Neil Young. And it's actually the first proper performance, this particular concert that Jack Irons had with the band. And at the time, actually, fans started to boo. You know what I mean? They, They booed Jack. It wasn't a unanimous boo, but (laughs) a lot of fans were unhappy. And, uh, you know, Eddie actually addresses this, which I thought was was rather fantastic. And he basically says, hey, I know you guys miss Dave, you know, but if it wasn't for Jack Irons, this band wouldn't be around anymore. And so he publicly said, you know, we're only here because of this guy. And, And you should thank him. And this particular version of the song is the guitars just really shine on it. Um, I think it's it's kind of the the Phoenix Rising moment for the band mm. where this is the show where they basically said, you know what, we're here to stay. Where a lot of other bands like Nirvana and other, you know, Soundgarden, Alice in Change were experiencing a lot of turmoil as it was Pearl Jam, you know. I mean, this whole scene, I think, in Seattle was starting to undergo changes. And you had bands breaking up. You had lead singers dying. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an unmitigated disaster. But this particular moment, to me, symbolized the band saying, okay, here we are, and we're not going anywhere. And they're still with us today. And obviously, Jack is not with the band anymore. But um, the, they figured out the formula for sticking this out together, you know, for making it work. And I think Jack helped show them that. And this version of the song was, was played by a band who had found itself again. And I think it really comes out in the music, you know, and we talked about lyrically how much of the song is about facing consequences. Much of the song is about recognizing oceans for being oceans. And the fact that they do come with big, big waves and being prepared for that and facing it and taking accountability. And they did that together as a band. And they're still here today because they faced those big, big waves and overcame them, you know? And I think for that reason, it's hard for me not to listen to that song and just not feel grateful that we still have the band today. And that performance of the song, I think is symbolic of the band's ability to rise up together amidst all the controversy, the turmoil that they had been experiencing at the time. There it is. Uh, January 14th, 1995 at Constitution Hall in the nation's capital.
So that that version of that song is so good to me because, like you said, of the context, but also the performance. It it feels so in sync, you know. Yeah. And I mean, credit to Jack because he's always been a tremendous drummer. But you know, the backdrop of the show being about Roe v. Wade and and you know Gloria Steinem's there and Uncle Neil's there, and it's Jack's first show. And like the, the way that you got a ticket was like a, a postcard mail and lottery. Like there was just a lot of things coming together for this show to be special. And it was, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't not a vault release. I believe it was a right? vault release. I think they, yeah, I forget what number it was, but they, they opted to release this particular yeah. show. It's um, very dear to them just because of the cause in which they were supporting. Sure, sure, sure. I think you've chosen a really good version of this because of all that context and out of that context bore this incredible version Um very striking and you know we talked about the lyric and, and what it means and what the song means and it, it couldn't have been a more appropriate pick okay so there's this article that came out in rolling stone at the time and uh, they actually address the performance of tremor christ and what the writer whose name is jd Considine, i believe my apologies if i'm mispronouncing that jd says Tremor Christ, by contrast, pulled most of its drama from the relationship between the liquid momentum of the bass and drums and the angularity of Stone Gossard's and Mike McCready's guitar lines. You talked about the band being in sync, Jason, and I think that's that liquid momentum that, that JD's talking about, and it's captured beautifully in the song. To me, it's the best version that you can find. There you go. I agree with you. And um, I mean, I'm looking forward to next week now i'm now i'm, I'm can you can you just do back-to-back episodes right now we'll just keep on going <laughs> you got enough scotch there i might need a double for that <laughs> okay I might, I might need a double to well, stay on my a game <laughs> all right gang uh thanks for listening please uh follow us on the instagram on the twitter and you know submit a review if you want to and you know like i, like I always say write great things about paul you can degrade me all you want it's fine it's cool this is all a ploy for attention, Jason. <laughs> People see it, through you. You're it really isn't. I'm trying to be humble here, but it's coming back to haunt me. Anyways, we'll see you next week. You are listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.